0: On this day, on the, the 27th of January in 1945, the Auschwitz-Birkenau Concentration Camp was liberated. It was the largest Nazi death camp and it was the site of unspeakable horrors. As such, the United Nations designated this day as International Holocaust Remembrance Day, a day of annual commemoration to honour the victims of the Nazi era. You might not be aware of this, but the parents of one of Australia's most beloved scientists were inmates of concentration camps. He received the Member of the Order of Australia Award in 2006 and was named Australian Father of the Year in 2003. He has degrees in physics and maths, biomedical engineering, medicine and surgery and is the Julius Summer Miller Fellow at Sydney University. And he hosts ABC's Sleek Geeks. Dr Carl Kruselnitsky joins me now. Hi, Dr. Carl.
1: Good afternoon, Dr. Jill.
0: (laughs) It's lovely to talk to you. Dr. Carl, this is an area of your life I'm not sure very many people are aware of. Did you know that your parents had been in a concentration camp?
1: I knew that my father had been in Sachsenhausen concentration camp and had survived thanks to being able to bribe his way out with a tin of sardines um, but I didn't know that my mother had been in Auschwitz uh, and she kept a secret from me and instead of telling me that she was, in fact, um, Jewish and born in Gdansk or Danzig, she told me a little white lie that she was Lutheran and born in Sweden because unspeakable things happened to her. The most that I could get out of her... And only, she only told me this when she began... near the end of her life, when she began dementing, And only then did she tell me that she'd been in a concentration camp and all these things had happened to her. Uh, So I was curious as to how come she was receiving compensation from the German government for the concentration camp experience. It turns out she had a sister who was almost um, the same age and looked identical, so it was assumed that they were identical twins. And Dr Mengele was at Auschwitz, and he loved doing unspeakable things to identical twins because one would act as a control for the other. And what exactly happened, I never found out, and in her case, they were liberated by the Americans. And my mother was kept on telling her sister, "Don't eat the food. Don't eat the chocolate that the Americans are giving you. It's too rich food." And she just died. My sister, my mother's sister, died from eating the meat, and because the Americans had no idea the soldiers of the unspeakable horrors, and there were these just these ghost-like creatures, weighing 30, 40 kilograms, and they just said, "Yeah, have some food," not realising that the too-rich food would kill them. In the case of my father, on the first day, he drank water that rice had been boiled in. On the second day, he um, ate some rice. On the third day, some vegetables. On the fourth day, some meat. And he he paced himself back.
0: Both your parents survived by accident. How did your father bribe himself out with a tin of sardines?
1: Well, my father went in there when he was 40. And as he went into the concentration camp off the train, The guard was walking up the train tracks, whipping them all, and muttering under his breath, you are 20, and you have a trade." And my father thought, oh, okay. And so when he went up to the guy at the front, he was a big, strong guy, and he said, I'm 25. He wasn't, he was 40. He said, I'm 25 and I'm a carpenter. My father didn't know what the end of a hammer was what. And so, because he was a big, burly guy, they put him onto the dead body patrol. So my father's job, was to go into the gas ovens, immediately after the Jews had been gassed to death, pick up their dead bodies, carry them on his shoulders, dump them into an elevator, and then somebody else would take them from the elevator and put them into the ovens to be burnt. My father knew that he was going to be killed because the Nazis didn't want any witnesses left behind. And as the Americans got closer, my father had managed to hang onto a tin of sardines, and he was a bit of an intellectual, he could speak four languages, Um, and he he used to eat chess with the camp camp doctor. Mm -hmm. Then he would be swapped for somebody who had died, a Russian soldier. And so a person with the name of Ludwig Kuchelnitsky died, uh, and so the Nazi guards were happy. But in fact, my, my father went over into the Russian concentration, part of the concentration camp, where a guy had died of appendicitis, and then when the Americans came, all the barriers went down, and he just said, get me out of here.
0: If you've just joined us on Afternoons, we're talking to Dr. Carl Krushelnitsky, who is, um, a, as you wouldn't know, our favourite scientist. His, both of his parents were also inmates at in Nazi death camps and on uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Day, Dr. Carl is just sharing some of his memories with us. Your, your mother also survived by by. by well, she accident. was lucky. The, yeah. what,
1: what happened there... Um, and she was also being working as a seamstress and God knows what else they were doing to her. And um, suddenly they're all destined to be executed but then the Nazis ran out of the Zyklon B gas so they couldn't kill them fast enough and they didn't have enough bullets because things were getting short and the German the Nazi guards were keeping the bullets for themselves. And then one morning they woke up and the camp, all the guards had gone and they had retreated away from the advancing Americans, and the Americans came in. So the only reason that my mother survived was because they ran out of the cyclone B killer gas. My mother would tell me how she'd be there, and they'd see the American planes go over, and they'd say, please, bombers, please kill us now. Kill us quickly, cleanly. Kill us now. We want to die. And that's how bad things were.
0: How did they... how, how did they process later in their life, I suppose, this, this terrible horror that had pervaded so much of their lives? Were they, were they bitter people?
1: Um, no, um, the exact opposite. Uh, my mother was a bit paranoid, but forgiving. My father wasn't paranoid. And on one occasion, he was working... Uh, he worked as a labourer on the waterboard because none of his qualifications counted in Australia because our qualifications are so much better than European qualifications. So he was working as a labourer on the waterboard and then rose up to being a clerk in the hiring section. And one day, his guard from Sachsenhausen came in, a particularly brutal guard, to get a job in Wollongong, of all places. And my father didn't let on that he knew him. He processed him through the system, got him a job, And then the guard said, then he said to the guard, you know, you were my guard at Sachsenhausen. And the guy's face went white and he couldn't say anything. He just collapsed on his chair. And he said, well, what are you going to do? He said, nothing. And he said, well, why are you giving me the job? He said, I'm doing it not for you, but for your children. In other words, the repeated hate would stop. You know, there are some parts of Europe where... I'm, I would hate you because in the 1300s mm. my great-great-grandparents did something your great great something like that. And my father's attitude was, it finishes and we start again.
0: That's quite an extraordinary attitude.
1: Well, he was a very humble man, a very forgiving and generous man. He couldn't bear to see anything killed. And one day I remember I was four years old and I was sitting in the backyard in Wollongong and I was just killing these ants, squash, squash, squash. And I looked up and my father was crying. And he said, don't kill any animal unless you have to eat it to survive. You can kill it if you have to. If it's the only way you can stay alive. Otherwise, don't kill anything. And I've, I've been unable to be a sports hunter or a sports fisherman ever since.
0: And you came, um, how, how did your family come to Australia fr- from
1: Well, my parents uh, both were picked up by the Red Cross, who said, do you want to go to Sweden? And they said, sure, anywhere. And then my parents met in Sweden. My father ended up teaching my mother English because he could speak 12 languages. And um, then they got married, loved each other very much in a special way, and then nine months later I turned up. And then we were at the dock ready to go to America. And then I threw a fever because of the vaccination, you know. It's good to get vaccinated. You get a little fever, it comes, it goes away. You don't get the main disease. Vaccinations are great. Get vaccinated. And so they were worried. And so the ship going to America sailed away and they're still sitting on a dock with their cardboard suitcases. The next ship pulls up, it's going to Australia. (laughs) That's how we end up in Australia. Just an accident like that.
0: And you lived in a refugee camp for a while?
1: Yeah, in Bonagula. Um, and then we moved to Sydney and then to Wollongong, which is 50 kilometres, 80 kilometres south of Wollongong, where you've got um, better prices, where we could afford to um, buy a house and, uh, and, and live and so I went through the schooling system and uh, it was a wonderful thing this could happen in a country so far away on the other side of the world that people would take us into their hearts.
0: Do you think that your upbringing had anything to do with your um, insatiable de- desire for, for knowledge?
1: I don't know, like, one part of me says I am what I am, and another part knows intellectually that the children of immigrant parents are high achievers, they work really hard because they've come from nothing. I was a refugee. When refugees come to a foreign country, it's not because they really want to have a nice holiday. They've given up everything, all their friends, their family, and every single one of their possessions now can be put into a little cardboard box. And they've got a little bit of money And that's all. So the only thing that they can't take away from you is an education. So it's just sort of really common that the children of immigrant parents who have come here under hard circumstances struggle really hard not to have it happen to them again because they can't take an education away from you. They can take your money, but not not your brain.
0: How do you feel about the way refugees are processed in Australia now as a refugee yourself?
1: Um, Shameful. I've talked to some of these guys and... I've been, my mother-in-law goes out to the, the uh, refugee camp in Sydney to visit them. They just want to have not, people not killing them. I was doing a book tour for one of my books in Melbourne, and we had a really happy driver. He was about 50-something. I said, how come you're such a happy fellow? And he said, I'm a Kurd, you know, and you've got that area of the Middle East where the Kurds hang out, and they're disliked by everybody around them, the Iranians, the Iraqis, the Turks. Everybody hates the poor Kurds. And he said, I'm 52 years old, and the last two years of my life here in Australia have been the happiest years of my life because they're the only two years in my whole life when somebody hasn't fired a bullet at me and tried to kill me. So from every year of his life, until he was 50, every year of his life, he can remember that somebody tried to kill him with a bullet, tried to shoot him, more than once in, many, in most of the years. And he's life here in Australia. You know, you get out of the pub and have a beer. It's a nice place.
0: It is is a beautiful place, and and you certainly add to it. It's just been such a pleasure to talk to you today, Dr. Carl. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Dr. Jill. (laughs) Dr. Carl Kruselnitsky on International Holocaust Remembrance Day. You're on Afternoons. This is Afternoons with Gillian O'Shaughnessy on 720 ABC Perth.